Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Greg Olson, inviting you to check out my new Blue Wire podcast, TE1, where I interview tight ends throughout the history of the NFL who have helped revolutionize the position. TE1 is presented by the Chevy Silverado, The Silverado is all about grit. It's strong and dependable, exactly like playing tight end. Just like the incredible players we sit down with on the podcast, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. Strong, advanced, and dependable. Download TE1 today, wherever you listen to podcasts. Blue Wire. Breaking news, LeBron is a Laker. We'll win a championship this year. Paul George, corner three. Yes, sir! Bryant has to put it up with the buzzer. Banks it in! <laughs> he banks in the three! And the Lakers win the game! What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Battle for LA podcast, part of the Clutch Points and Blue Wire Networks. As usual, Tamara Zarley, your Clippers beat writer for Clutch Points here. Um... I'm joined once again by Justin Russo, my guy fly by night on Twitter and Instagram. Justin, how you doing? Apparently not as chipper as you. You sound very happy today. I sound chipper, really? Yeah, you actually sound pretty good today. Hmm, I'll take that. Is it because we're recording this earlier in the day? I think so. I got more energy, man. I got to sleep in yesterday a bit with with Yom Kippur, so. um, We we just sound miserable at night, to be (laughs) honest. We just sound like we just want to go to sleep. I mean... To be fair, we are recording at like 1 a.m., so uh, yeah, that probably, probably plays, it, plays a part in it. And we don't uh, record for a short period. No, it's usually, what, a uh, one-hour pregame show and then an hour recording? <laughs> Basically, we're an <laughs> NBA broadcast. <laughs> no halftime. Oh, well, we might do a halftime or end of quarter ad reads here and there. Yeah, I was going to say, what do you think the ad reads are for? <laughs> end of quarter. <laughs> like a hockey game 15 minute periods um uh justin uh, it's been just under 24 hours now since we found out about the uh well the news dropped up about doc rivers uh and the clippers having a mutual parting of ways i found out about this at about 7 30 when my fast and sort of uh you know technological shutdown ended uh so i was about five and a half six hours late to the news uh but i wanted to get you know what was your initial reaction uh, when you heard the news come from, I believe it was Woj reported at first at around two thirty. Uh, shock. Not um. See, like shock makes it sound like oh my god, but like 
I did have some semblance of like, oh my God, like really? And then I also had some thought of that also makes sense. Because as we've gotten into before, if this was any other coach and this had happened, I wouldn't be at all surprised they were let go. I think we're all just surprised because it is Doc Rivers. Yeah, I, I wrote about this in my piece earlier this morning. Um, and I, I, I feel like, yeah, if it was any other coach, you'd probably have to make that move, uh, if only for the, the way you the Clippers lost um, and the things that resulted in the Clippers' loss. Um, I thought – I didn't think they'd go through with it, mainly because, you know, you, you can't forget um, – that Doc really helped change change the culture around here. Uh, he did help, you know, with, with Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and DeAndre Jordan bring a winning culture. Um, he did maneuver the, the franchise through the um, incredibly tough Donald Sterling scandal, which which can't go forgotten uh, because that was an insanely difficult time uh, for everyone involved, uh, front office, players, fans, uh, staffers, you know, ticket uh, people, just everyone involved with the organization just just – was caught off guard and had to deal with the after effects. And I think Doc Rivers was the the necessary leader um, to get them through that. Uh, I, I honestly, I wrote this. I don't, I don't know if um, they get through it as, as, you know, as, as I want, I guess positively is, is the word I'm looking for uh, as they do, you know, in the middle of a playoff series, winning that seven game series against the Warriors uh, and moving on. Um, it's it's tough, uh, you know. Personally, having interacted with Doc every, you know, pretty much every other day for the last four years during the season, um, I think you know th- there grows a, a relationship, obviously, and, and a respect level. And um, uh, it's going to be sad to see to see him go. Um, for me personally, just because you know he's always been a, a great guy, um, always easy to talk to, always open for an interview, always really candid, and always open to talking about really anything whether it be politics, basketball, social justice, anything you want. Um, but this really comes back to just the results on the court, which were um, the, the Clippers being, I think, overwhelmingly favorites against the Denver Nuggets and seemingly just collapsing uh, inexplicably, I would, say, I would add. Um, when, it, when it came down to it, you know, losing three games in a row, losing – a three-one lead once again. Um, I, I don't. I don't really think it's 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 just losing a three-one lead. I think it's the way that they lost these games. Um, you know, I asked Doc Rivers, and I mentioned this to you earlier. I asked Doc. I think it was either before Game Six or after Game Six, if he'd paid attention to lineup data um, and who who plays well with one another, because. All the data that I've gone through, lineup data, you know, net rating, um, just all, and I'm sure you've looked at this too. All it points to a key, key negative in the second unit in Montrezl Harrell. And that's a guy that Doc repeatedly just continued to throw out there in, you know, well, he averaged 19 minutes in the playoffs. I thought he probably should have played closer to 10 minutes in the playoffs. Uh, I, I don't think you can really justify playing Trez looking back at it. Any head coach, I don't think you can justify playing Trez more than 10 minutes, given how he was playing and how he was matching up against both Boban and Nikola Jokic. Um, and, and that's what 
that's what Doc did. Doc played him about 20 minutes a game. Um, I, I, we'll go into this a bit more, but, you know, Zubats obviously wasn't ready to handle uh, those 30, 35-minute, you know, games. Uh, but I just thought he, he ended up, you know, making his own bed but by playing Trez as much as he did and, and the Clippers ultimately losing with Trez being a significant reason for that loss. If you end up looking at it and taking a step back and actually like really like looking at it, right? The thing with Zubats that was really interesting is as you said, he wasn't ready for the 30 to 35 minutes a game that he was ended up kind of getting in the postseason. So you start to ask yourself, well, whose fault is that? Like Zubats just isn't conditioned enough to do that. Like that should be Zubats fault, right? Except it's not. Like, you have to get him ready for the postseason in the regular season. And the job for the guy, of the guy to do that in the regular season falls squarely on the shoulders of Doc Rivers, the head coach. And he didn't do it. He basically capped Zubats at 20 minutes a game in the regular season, never really played him in fourth quarters, even though people were screaming from the mountaintops to do it. So now you have this guy, this 22-year-old and now 23-year-old center, who's being asked to do things that no one asked of him before this. And while he did it well, I would say, he didn't do it to the level that he could have done it because of the restrictions that happened before this. So uh, like a lot of the stuff that happened, I don't blame the players for. Like I don't blame Montres Harrell for a lot of the stuff that went wrong with him, even though some of it is him, you know, not being conditioned enough, which isn't his fault. He had to leave the bubble for a death in the family. It happens. But a lot of these things fall right on Doc Rivers. The lack of adjustments, the lack, the lack of just changes, the lack of seeing things as they happen. Like, it's, it's hard to really keep saying the same thing over and over because I feel like I've just really been beating a dead horse for the last couple of weeks of, well, they should have done this, they should have done this, they should have done that. And yeah, they could have done all this and that, but they didn't. And ultimately, it's what cost him his job. You know, you can't keep doing the same thing and expect different results, and he did. And ultimately, that's what did him in. And fair or not, I personally think it's fair, but fair or not, with everything Doc Rivers has done for the franchise, I'm sorry, someone had to go. And it's a lot easier to get rid of a coach than it is players at times. While I, which to be fair, I do think some players will be gone as a result of this, but it's a solid starting point for the team to like, take a look at themselves. Like I wrote about this last night at like two in the morning for some ungodly reason. Cause that's when all my thoughts are apparently great, <laughs> uh, which I, I know other writers can attest to. Yeah. I, I agree with that actually. You, For some reason, like in. one, yeah, like one or two in the morning, your thoughts flow very perfectly. Yeah. Um, I end up writing. This was the this was not a decision the Clippers came to lightly, and the reason I know that it wasn't a decision they came to lightly is because of how how long it took them. It wasn't some decision they did like two days after they got ousted. No, it's been almost two weeks. Or it has been too. I don't even know. Time time doesn't matter anymore. But two weeks from today, yeah. Oh, okay. Two weeks from today. So yes, it's been two weeks. Um, you end up looking at it, and this is how I phrased it when I wrote it. 
you kind of have to give the Clippers credit for this. They look themselves square in the mirror. They ask themselves a lot of difficult questions and they made the toughest decision. And not a lot of teams, not a lot of people would do that. So I give them credit for that. Even if some of the process got wonky along the way, they still arrived at the destination I personally believe was best for business. Yeah, I, I, tend, I tend to think, and I don't know how much truth, this, truth there is to this, but I kind of feel like, um, you know, obviously Doc and Steve Ballmer had been meeting over the last couple of days, uh, or a couple of weeks actually, um, t- to figure out you know, what, what the best plan is to, to attack, you know, the offseason and next season. Uh, and, and what happened? Um, uh, part of me feels like the the Lakers dispatching, they're taking care of the Nuggets that quickly, um, may have played a part in it. I, I, I don't, I don't. It sounds kind of dumb to say, but it, that's I think what many expected the Clippers to do with the Nuggets, and they almost did. They were up three one. Uh, they were up sixteen and or fifteen in game five with about. 13, 15, or 15, 16 minutes left in the game. Uh, so it was, it was on, on course for that. Uh, I, I just feel like the way the Lakers handle the Nuggets, is everything that we expected the Clippers to do, um, and they just didn't. Um, now, there, there's, there's many angles to attack this. Um, normally, I think coaches are scapegoats for, for playoff losses, and I think normally – or maybe in, let's say, what would you say? 60% of cases, it's, it's probably unwarranted. It's just a scapegoat sort of thing. Yeah, to some degree. I mean, I, I feel like coaches are being tossed, are usually tossed around the NBA as a scapegoat for losses and for It's weird, though. Like Mitt McMillan, for example. Um, to some degree. Now, here's the weird part. I don't mean to cut you off. Like, I thought what happened to Doc should have happened to Mike Budenholzer. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, a guy didn't adjust to things. Again. You can make a case that Budenholzer was worse. I do think Budenholzer's was worse. Yeah. But at the end of the day, the Clippers got rid of their guy who had much more cachet within the organization and the league than Budenholzer did, and the Bucks didn't do that. Now, maybe that's for the best for the Bucks. I don't know. I, I don't think that was the right decision by Milwaukee. I think they should have let him go. Mm-hmm. But maybe it pays off. I don't know. But the Clippers made a tough decision that other teams probably wouldn't be so willing to do. Yeah. Considering Doc's standing in both the league and the organization. Right. I think that's the biggest factor here to to look at. That um, you meta considered Doc sort of almost like a a PR person for the NBA in terms of, at least in the bubble anyways, um, in terms of his stance on social justice issues and everything related to, to, to non-basketball stuff. Um, and so I think, you know, normally, like I, like I was saying, I think coaches are considered scapegoats, sometimes unwarranted. But I think in this situation, you could probably say um, with a lot of confidence that uh, it was just time to move on. Um, you know, in my piece, like I, I, I split up some of the blame for the postseason loss, and I had Trez at about 25%. Uh, and Doc at 30%. Now, Trez, I think you mentioned this earlier, but Trez is who he is. I mean, you you know 
what you're getting with him. You knew you in the regular season, you knew you weren't going to get a good defender. You knew you were going to get a liability in the playoffs. Um, same thing with Lou Williams. Um, now the Clippers didn't need scoring during the regular season, uh, especially with Kawhi and PG dealing with injuries, uh, Pat as well. Um, so you did need scoring in the season, but let me, let me ask you something real quick. Do you think that's also why they let him go? Because they probably realized with next season, with PG not having to miss the first couple weeks of the season and with Kawhi potentially playing a little bit more that they didn't need to have someone rely so much on bench scoring as much as getting the little things right? Uh, I, I don't know about that um, because... Because here's the thing. We don't know everything that went into their decision. I've read Yovan's piece on The Athletic. I've read the ESPN piece by uh, Ramona and Ohm. Like, so many factors went into this. Like, it's, right. it's not like they let him go just because they didn't make the conference finals. Like, there's talk that they might have let him go regardless of if he made the finals because of how much he disagreed, like, how much they disagreed philosophically with, like, his decisions and the way he looked at things. It, it's hard to know. Like, it, it's not any one thing. It was this cacophony of things that sprung up little by little throughout the season and then became blaring in the postseason. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that, where it's um, Zoo for what, the biggest issue for me was just Zoo not, not being given more, more minutes during the regular season. And we saw this. We saw Trez, uh, you know, check in for Zoo after about, what, five minutes, six minutes, uh, and then Trez play the final 15, 16. I mean, you, you, you started uh, tracking this, these, I, I remember. Uh, how many how, how many consecutive minutes about it. Trez would play in, the, in in first and second halves, and it was just it was insane to see Trez play 15, 16 minutes in the second halves, and I'm like, you're gonna need Zubats. I mean, he's one of the best rim, rim protectors in the NBA. Um, I don't want to crap on Trez here. I do want to say he's a six seven center. He's undersized. He's not as defensively gifted as Zubats. And at the end of the day, his, his two major contributing factors to the team were he could roll really well to the rim, and he hustled. And I'm sorry. That's not enough to get you 30 minutes a game. Well, he, here's the other issue for me, that is that if you're going to play Trez in the playoffs, to do what at least made him effective and run pick and rolls with Lou and him. Uh, yeah, I, I feel you like and I've talked about this. Abandoned, they completely abandoned that. Um, the, I remember. I think I have to go back and watch this, but most of Trez's offensive possessions came catching it in the low post, uh, maybe a, a step or two outside towards the baseline, dunker uh, spot, and then yeah, and then just and then just isoing up against Jokic or whoever it was, uh, Plumley, and just going one on one. And when you have other gifted scores on the court with you, um, yeah, I think. Doc probably did the best job staggering Kawhi and PG. That's not your best offensive option, and it shouldn't be your number one option. It almost felt like, a, hey, Trez is on the court. Let's just try and get him some, some, some burn here uh, while he's on, you know? And it, it, I don't think it should have been like that. It should have been what really gets us the best possession. Is it Lou, Lou, Lou Trez pick and roll? Is it a Kawhi post-up? I don't know. Um, but you get what I'm saying, where, where they didn't use him, they didn't use, utilize him to the best of their abilities. What they did throughout the regular season, they sort of just abandoned in the playoffs. 
I don't know how much of that was actually game planned by Denver to take it away because I don't, I don't think they did anything to take it away. So they like this is the this is this is also the problem, right? Even if you think Harold's part of the problem, which I do, I think he is. You still have to take a step back because you have to do your due diligence, right? Like they failed categorically across the board at putting their players in the right spots. You should know you have a six, seven center who was far better on the move than he is stationary in the dunker spot. At no point should your offensive ecosystem exist in which that guy stands in the dunker spot for 20 seconds on a shot clock and just waits. Not only because it makes him stationary and takes away what he can do, but because it allows the big man defending him to stay rooted at the rim and not have to worry about moving himself, thus making it harder for the team to get quality shots in the paint. They fundamentally screwed themselves over repeatedly, not only in the Denver series, but in the Dallas series as well. And it was going to happen, in my opinion, in the conference finals, and even if they made it that far, the finals. Right, yeah, that's a good point. I don't, I, I don't know if you could say – like, I thought they had a good chance to beat the Lakers coming into the playoffs. Um, but I feel like they're, they're, any sense of an offensive system disappeared uh, during the playoffs. It was seemingly Kawhi, go get yours. PG, go get yours. Uh, we'll do some light, you know, player movement, ball movement. Um, and that's pretty much our system right there, uh, which I thought – I thought you could get away with that. But when you have I, – I, I'm, I'm mixed on this because during the regular season it was enough. And I thought during the playoffs it might be enough as well. But you saw when PG's struggling, um, when Kawhi's struggling, when he's getting triple teamed, I think you need a system in place, uh, at least something in place to fall back on. Uh, when, when star power doesn't get you through. And I thought that was one of the things the Clippers really didn't show that they had. Um, so here's the thing, right? Like, we, we oftentimes, like you just mentioned, it, I've talked about it ad nauseum online. I've talked about it on a podcast. Like, I, I've talked about, like, for some reason, their offense changed in the postseason, and I don't know why. Right, I don't understand like, why. They went to more isolations, which I get. Like, playoff basketball sometimes, if not more often, than we like to believe devolves into just one-on-one because that's the nature of the postseason. Like mm-hmm. when you get deeper into the series, teams have scouted you so well, eventually it's just one-on-one at a, at a time. Um, the problem for me was in the regular season, they ran the, their pick and roll ball handler usage was the fourth highest in the league in the postseason. If you just look at the postseason. They were fifth out of the seven, quote, 17 teams because you count Memphis. However, their percentage dropped. It went all the way down to 19.4% after being up at 22.6%. So it's like they didn't even run the stuff nearly enough that made them successful in the regular season. And even then, if you look at their pick and roll, uh, like the roll man possessions, in the regular season, it was 6.1%, which was about middle of the pack. In the postseason, it was 5.9. Now, 0.2% might not seem like much, 
But when you're that good of a pick and roll team in terms of points per possession, wouldn't you like to just run more pick and rolls? Especially because it could lead to spot up opportunities, which they were really good at in the regular season and even in the postseason. Like they just they they completely abandon all logic. They started posting up more, which I understand Kawhi likes to do, so uh, you kind of live with it. And isolation, which Kawhi and PG both like to do, so you kind of live with it. But like it also happened with Lou Williams. Montres Harrell went to ISOs for some ungodly reason. Like it, it's just, I don't understand the structure devolving that much. Like because it shouldn't change that much. Like for as much as I talk about Milwaukee and like how the, like the Clippers made the hard decision, Milwaukee couldn't. The one thing I'd kind of give Milwaukee credit for is like they stayed within their system. Like, like they, they stayed true to themselves. Like, they lost doing what they knew how to do. They didn't get crazy and, like, abandon what was working for something that wasn't. Because while, while Milwaukee, quote-unquote, flamed out in the second round to, to Miami, the difference is Milwaukee was in all those games late. Milwaukee was more in those games than the Clippers probably were in the last three games against Denver. Oh, absolutely. So... I don't know. Like, I look at it like you did this thing that worked so well. You had a really awesome offense. They did. They had a really great offense, especially in the half court. Why would you all of a sudden change it? And that's what leads me to the disconnect between coach and players and philosophy and, and process. So I understand why he had to go. And in a lot of ways, I think it was the right move. Yeah, it just it just made no sense to me. Uh, a lot of things made no sense to me, really. Um, so, yeah, Doc's letting go. Although you know, for me personally, it was sad to see. Um, uh, it's a hundred percent the right decision, I, I think. Um, and I feel like the Clippers also don't make this move unless they have something planned. Um, I don't want to be that conspiracy theorist like they have something big planned because I don't know if they do. But I feel like this this front office has been so methodical. And, 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 and thought through so many things um, that I feel like they do have something planned, whether it may be a Ty Lue addition, someone who's, you know, won an NBA championship as a rookie head coach. Um, you know, he's coached some big egos in the past, um, been to a couple NBA finals. Um, he would be your, he would be your guy, I, I think. Um, it's tough because I, I feel like, you know, you mentioned this with Doc gone, that all but ensures that Trez is gone because it just doesn't make sense to, to bring him back when um, he's got – unless he accepts a much lesser role. Uh, and w- for a guy who's trying to get paid, I'm I just sorry, don't see that happening. Not, that's not happening. I just don't see that happening. He's trying to cash in. He's in the prime of his career. And from his perspective, I understand it. Uh, but I think the only way you bring him back is if he accepts a 10- to 12-minute role uh, off the bench um, – Similar to what Joe Michael Green was playing, and maybe played Joe Michael in the Trez role. Um, just flip those roles over while also playing Zubats probably a good 28 to 30 minutes a night during the regular season. You um, know who this opens the door for, baby? Who? Fiondu Cabangeli. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually, what, what, during draft night, uh, me and Jovan did, I, I, I went on his pod and I said, I think, I think I said it. We both agreed on it. That basically he was an insurance policy if Trez were to walk in free agency. I fully believe that at the time too. Yeah, and I, I still obviously I still do, but yeah. 
yeah, I fully believe he's an insurance policy in case Trez leaves. Um, now, he, he might be a little further behind than we thought, but that might also just be a product of Doc not playing young guys enough. Um, you know, he, he did play Terrence Mann at times, which is interesting. But uh, I, I don't know how far along he is. But anyways, just going back to the coaching, though. Um, yeah, I, I don't know who they'll look at. You know, the, obviously, Ty Lue was named. Um, Jeff Van Gundy was named. You know, I looked at the betting odds earlier that I got um, an email for, and that had Chauncey Billups up there, Mark Jackson, Mike D'Antoni, Brett Brown, Sam Cassell, Stan Van Gundy, Kenny Atkinson, Jason – I'm not even – Jason Kidd, Becky Hammond. I can automatically say right now Jason Kidd will not be the head coach of the Los Angeles no, Clippers. I, I, I think so. Do you know why? Why? Lawrence Frank. Oh, yeah, that's right. Didn't he coach him in New Jersey? Jason Kidd basically stabbed him in the back. Oh, was that I right? I can tell you I right now, Lawrence Frank will not hire Jason Kidd. And if Lawrence Frank hires Jason Kidd, never listen to me ever again about basketball. I'll just stop doing everything. Oh, oh wow. my you, God, he might you heard it here first. Him. You heard it here first. <laughs> Justin will stop doing anything. He will cease I'll to cease, live. I'll cease to exist at this point. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I don't know who they'll hire, uh, but you know, Tyler's obviously the favorite. He's, he's a guy doc has talked up throughout the bubble multiple times. Um, and so we'll just have to wait and see. Um, you know, I, I said this in my piece earlier. I mean, doc rivers is probably the number one head coach free agent. Uh, and it's not close. I don't think, um, you know, teams like new Orleans, Philadelphia, uh, Indiana, if they haven't locked in, a guy yet um, all should be interested in um, in Doc Rivers. So uh, I don't know what will happen there, but it certainly is uh, something to watch over the next couple of weeks. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if <laughs> maybe on the night that the Lakers win the NBA championship <laughs> that the, the Clippers announce who they're hiring. Just to I don't think they do sort that. Of mess but, with them. <laughs> but yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, honestly, uh, I look at it almost like this is a team that feel that felt they had to make the hard decision. And at the end of the day, I can't do anything but praise them for making the hard decision because a lot of people in yours, me included did not think they would actually make that decision. So I don't know. I, I look at it as maybe this is the sign that like they're serious about what they see themselves as being. Mm-hmm. So who, who knows at this point? Like, you know what I mean? Like who, who really knows who would you put as the front runner? Cause personally, I think it's Ty Lue, but there is something in my mind that thinks they might not hire him. Uh, I mean, uh, unless you hear another name, I think it's gotta be Ty Lue. Um, he's a guy who I think, I think he's deserving of a head coaching spot regardless. Correct. Um, he, he's a good enough coach. And I think he was given um, sort of a, short end of the stick with his Cleveland tenure, the end of that, because they wanted to rebuild. He wasn't, you know, in favor of rebuilding. So um, he, he deserves a chance as a head coach. Um, this is a guy who all he's done is go to NBA finals and win an NBA championship. I mean, granted that is a LeBron James team, but still, um, you know, I, I think I'd be interested to see what he can do. He's a guy who reportedly, you know, uh, yelled at LeBron at halftime to do more during game seven. He's a guy who held him accountable during film sessions and really, really got on him at times. So uh, that's a guy you want. I think, I think players and star players especially want to be held accountable. They want to be pushed. Um, and while Doc may have done that, I think Doc uh, 
Tai Lu can provide a better version of that. Um, and so we'll see. I will say though that in a, in a weird way, this is going to sound kind of messed up, but in a weird way, it's kind of comforting to see that one of the significant reasons that they let go, let Doc go is that um, they really thought Zubat should be playing more minutes. Um, it's something that really everyone saw. Um, like I, I, I don't want to take credit for this. I don't, but I feel like me and Jovan kind of pushed the ball on that and really asked a lot of questions to Doc. Uh, even during the regular heard it here, Tom Air got Doc Rivers fired. Uh, yeah, that's what I'm going for. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, but, you, you know, at times when it was obvious, and I think people were just not willing to ask as much, um, you know, that was just one of the most obvious things possible ever. And I, I just – I don't understand how he kept going to it. Uh, it. It's literally just shooting yourself in the foot over and over and over again. Um that still to me is just mind blowing that you can keep going to that when it's killing you. I, I simply just don't, I don't understand it. I don't get it. You're right though. It should make you feel in some ways optimistic that the front office looked at one of their young players and went, dude, can you just play him more? And he refused. And they just said, all right, bye. Like, you know, like that's basically what happened. I mean, a lot more went into it. I don't want to minimize it and condense it down to just that. But if you really just look at it, if you read everything that's been written, like they wanted Zubats to play more and Doc didn't play him more. He played the they worst player. They paid him like a guy who's supposed to play more. Right. And they should have been grooming him for the entire season. And here's the thing I think I will give Doc some slack on. And maybe this is fair. Maybe it's not. Maybe people will agree. Maybe they won't. I really don't care, to be honest. Um, look at it from Doc's perspective, right? You're a player's coach. You are an X's and O's coach to some degree, but you're also a player's coach. And you have to manage the egos in the locker room. You just got Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Okay, now the structure of your locker room chemistry has changed because you added two big people to it. But you still have Lou, Pat, and Trez, and even Jamichael. And you also have Landry and Zoo, but Landry and Zoo aren't going to start stuff in the locker room because they're young guys and they respect the hierarchy and blah, blah, blah. So you pay Zubots $7 million a year. I believe it was $7 million a year. I'm just going to throw that number out there. Yeah, I think it was. So you pay him $7 million a year. He's your starting center. You have him under contract. In your mind, you think that guy is going to be here no matter what, potentially even after you're gone. So you're able to minimize his role in order to help the guy who is on a free age, who is entering free agency in Montrezl Harrell. That is a tough thing to have to navigate because you don't want to alienate the guy who's a free agent, who's going to be a free agent and thinks he deserves to be paid $20 million a year, which I, I don't disagree with anyone thinking they should be paid an exorbitant amount. I think everyone should get paid an exorbitant amount. I like money. You should too. <laughs> the other thing is, you have the guy, the young center who you've been trying to groom as your starting center and you say you trust and you're trying to build his, his morale back up after the Golden State Warriors played him off the court in the postseason, which they did to pretty much any other regular center anyways. So it's not a big deal. But you're trying to build up his, his morale and you're trying to get the chemistry of the team right and you're trying not to alienate the guy who is set to become a free agent at the year's end. And you have to navigate all these things, and it's not easy. It is not. So I cut him some slack on that. But what I don't cut him slack for is the, is 
the minute decisions he had to make in the moment, and he failed at them on the game's biggest stage for the franchise. And that was unforgivable. And part of it was not playing the better player more minutes. At the end of the day, when you look at sports, while chemistry matters completely and wholly and is a real tangible thing that is hard to quantify for a lot of people, and I think it will never be actually fully quantified, at the end of the day, just play your best players and the ones who fit very well together. And you wouldn't be in this predicament. And now it's at his doorstep and he's gone. And that's the reality of the situation. I see you tweeting somehow in the middle of this pod. I don't know how you're doing that. Um, I'm a Renaissance man. <laughs> the thing is, yeah, I, I understand you completely. We talked about this last time you were on about having to navigate, not costing Trez money and giving him an opportunity to showcase his skills with free agency coming up. The thing is, Trez did a lot more damage to himself by playing than you would have maybe said by not playing, I think. Because he showed himself to be over and over to just be a liability. And a liability that can't really adjust either. Um, which I think have you looked at the have you looked hurts. at the numbers real quick? Have you uh, have you looked at the numbers, the on off numbers when it comes to like Lou and Trez with Kawhi and PG in the postseason? Uh, I just saw your tweet right now. Okay, I'll <laughs> read it to people since they they can't see the tweet through podcast form. Granted, Kawhi, PG, Lou, and Trez only played forty three minutes together in the postseason. It's not a lot. I understand small sample sizes. The whole postseason is a small sample size. I get it. Net rating, negative 34.3. They come to that number because their offensive rating was a dismal 95.7, and their defensive rating was somehow an even worse 130.0. So it's a negative 34.3, which means per 100 possessions they were on the floor, they got outscored by 34.3 points. If you take out Lou and Trez and you put in Shamit and Zubots alongside Kawhi and PG, 112 minutes, so almost three times the sample size, plus 15.8. I do not know how you have a swing of 50 points per 100 possessions by swapping two players, but it happened. It 100% happened. My God, did it happen, and what an (laughs) unglorious thing it was. Uh, (laughs) I mean, uh, it's... I'm not really surprised the numbers proved that they were not good with Lou and Trez on the court. They were just not good. And, and if Lou and Trez aren't scoring, they are absolutely useless. I'm, you know, sorry, no offense, but if they're not, You're not scoring, wrong. but they're just, they're just useless because they're going to get attacked defensively. And, oh my God. I mean, at this point, we're just rehashing things from, from, yeah, from I, years, yeah. So. I, I don't, I don't want to keep um, rehashing. It's just, um, I do want to personally thank Doc Rivers for everything he did for the Los Angeles Clippers as a franchise and as an image. Um, because, well, yes, some people will say they're still a laughing stock of a franchise because of their blown 3-1 leads and all this stuff, whatever. I don't really care. He gave them legitimacy, whereas before they were an afterthought. And because of what he did during the Donald Sterling... Um, I'll just say it, the racist tapes. Um, I don't think we can adequately praise him enough for what he did for not just the, the actual players and the team itself, but the people who worked for the team that were not on the floor, who were behind the scenes. He talked to them. 
you know, he helped. And you started off earlier saying he's a great guy, a great person. He is. Doc Rivers, the person, is probably one in a billion. Um, Doc Rivers, the coach, for a while, that was also the thought, and it didn't live up to that uh, reputation. But it doesn't take away from who he is as a person and what he did for the franchise as a whole. So I do want to thank him because while people are going to crap on him for decisions, and I will certainly be amongst them to some degree, I would also urge people to be measured and remember what he did for the team during its darkest days. Because I don't know if anyone else could have ever done what he did And I do think that ultimately matters more than wins and losses. I think your perception, I think your character matter more than what your record says. Uh, I will agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, There's there's nothing to disagree with there, especially, you know, like I said earlier, I I don't think if anyone can navigate the Clippers through that Donald Sterling scandal, uh, the racist tapes that came out, as well as Doc Rivers could have, or as well as Doc Rivers did. Um, you know, you, you also forget you talked about character and being a, being a good person. We didn't even mention that, you know, it kind of goes unnoticed, but that remember that J.J. Reddick report that came out where Doc said that Sterling did not want to sign him. Because he was white. Doc, and Doc said, hey, I already got an agreement from him. You can't back out on this. I will quit if you do. Yeah, Doc not basically said my name. Yeah, Doc said it's my word, and you're not going to mess up my word and doc is a word guy very few of those people actually exist anymore like the word is my bond my word Mm -hmm. my word is strong as oak guys like a very few of them actually remain and doc was one of them and i think it's going to come out years later years from now probably in some 30 for 30 about how much doc really did matter behind the scenes to people absolutely Absolutely. And I, th- I think for as much as we really focus on the on-court stuff, we would be doing him and the sport of basketball a disservice if we didn't look at everything he did off the court as a vocal leader, as an icon, as, as someone the league and other players outside of the Clippers looked up to as the voice of reason during a lot of tough times. So. I really just have nothing but to say other than just thank you. Uh, thank you, Glenn, in fact. Um, <laughs> he, he, seven years. I never thought a coach for the Clippers would last year for seven years, and he did. So Yeah, no, 100%. No, I think, I think we really have to, have to separate uh, Doc the coach and Doc the, um, the person. Uh, because I, while people may, may harbor some ill will towards his coaching decisions, um, there's – simply nothing to question about him as a person. I think people Um, need to understand that who you are is not what you do as a job. mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. that's how I look at it. Yeah. Um, yeah, Doc was just fantastic. Thank you, Doc, as well. Um, Gave me a lot of good years, a lot of heartbreak, but a lot of good years as well. Uh, You know, growing up as a Clippers fan. So he's not going to miss your questions. (laughs) I'm sure he will not miss me grilling him about Zubats. Um, Before we move on to the NBA Finals, I wanted to tell you guys about DoorDash. 
Um, you know, you've been counting on restaurants, but now they're counting on you. And while their dining rooms may be closed, they're still open for delivery with DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door. Ordering is easy. Just open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. Choose from your favorite restaurants like Chipotle, Wendy's, and even the Cheesecake Factory. Many of your favorite local restaurants are still open for delivery too. Just open the DoorDash app, select your favorite local spot, and your food is on its way. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter code BLUEWIRE. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter code BLUEWIRE. Don't forget that's code BLUEWIRE for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. And also, I want to tell you guys about Bet Online real quick. Uh, you know, the, the wait for fo- football is over. Uh, we're, we're entering week uh, four, I believe it is. Week four of the NFL season this coming uh, weekend. Uh, while you might not be at a game this year, uh, unless you can score some really hard to get tickets, you can still get in on all the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile right now to make sure that you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Just head over to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Moving on to the NBA Finals, um, we've got a – how do I describe this? It's an interesting matchup. Um, a, a top talent-heavy Lakers filled with role players who have played their roles fantastic throughout the playoffs. Uh, I know it was a worry that people had, but they have, including myself, but they have been absolutely fantastic. Um, and that goes for multiple players. We were talking about Markeith Morris at times, Rajon Rondo, Alex Caruso, Kyle Kuzma to a lesser extent, but sometimes he has as well. Um, Dwight Howard. Um, I don't know if I'm forgetting anyone else, but uh, they've just had so many guys uh, play perfect for them. And you've, you've got the Miami Heat on the other end who um, – don't need superstar Jimmy Butler to be a scorer at all times or an assist guy or a defensive guy um, because they've got a bunch of shooters around him and Duncan Robinson, Goran Dragic is scoring like crazy. Tyler Hero is having his breakout party. Um, Bam Adebayo is having his breakout party, making a case for most improved, although that went to Brandon Ingram. Um, Andre Godala will be making six straight NBA Finals appearance. Um, Jay Crowder playing some terrific ball. There's a, there's a lot of different storylines in this as well. Um, before we get into predictions and all that, um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on the overall series before it starts, Justin. So it's weird. Um, I would like to be, uh, saying I would like to believe makes it sound bad. Uh, I don't know if the Miami Heat make the finals outside of the bubble. However, Ooh, I take. How, However, that doesn't matter because what might have happened isn't what actually happened. So 100% credit to the Miami Heat 
Look at the teams they beat. Now, I understand they beat a injured Indiana Pacers team in the first round, and some of those games were very close. But they were the better team against the Milwaukee Bucks, even if basically all those Milwaukee Bucks games were close with like four minutes to go. They were all like one possession games with five minutes to go. It was crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I don't think people realize how close Milwaukee actually was to winning that series just based on that. However, Miami wins that series in five games. They were the better team. They go on to play Boston, who Boston was the favorite at that point. They looked like they had the talent advantage. And they go through Boston in six games. They make it not look easy, but they were the better team, obviously. I just think that, like, you can't say enough good things about Miami. It's, a, it's guys who know their – so, like, if you look at the finals, and you touched on this with the role players for the Lakers, it's guys who know their roles and don't overstep their bounds. And that's a big deal. It's a lot different than the team we were just talking about. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, that matters. So 100% credit to those two teams. And it's going to be a very interesting NBA Finals. And I will say I did pick the Lakers in six. Um, I also told you this off the air, and I guess I'll say this now. I get a little bit of Detroit Pistons, Lakers, NBA Finals vibes out of this one. Not to say it's the upset's going to happen, but I look at it like here's a team in the Lakers who, like the Lakers team in that series, had by far the two best players. It wasn't even close. And beyond that, the Pistons were just this machine of a team that everyone bought in. There was no egos. Everyone knew who the definitive leader was in Chauncey Billups, which is like Jimmy Butler. Everyone knew what their role was, and they had a coach that made everyone buy into those roles. The difference this year, as opposed to like 15 years ago, Shaq and Kobe weren't getting along, and LeBron and AD seemed like their best friends. So that's a bit like there was no chemistry like dark cloud over them at that point at this point i should say not that point because that's the past tense so i think it's different for that reason and that reason enough should be enough for the lakers to win in six in my mind i just would not be shocked if miami won i just really wouldn't i think they have the coaching advantage i think they have the system advantage they don't have the superstar advantage and we are going to see how much that matters so that's kind of where I'm at, where coaching advantage goes to Miami. Uh, offensive system uh, goes to Miami. Uh, but top talent, you know, top-tier talent clearly goes to the Lakers. Uh, and we've seen that LeBron and AD are more than enough, uh, more than good enough to, to, to put you over the top, uh, regardless of what defenses are throwing at you. Um, now... I could see either team winning this. I, I don't think it'd be surprising considering it's the bubble and um, we've seen a, we've had our share of surprises already. Um, I will say though, that I feel like uh, the Miami heat respond better uh, to opposing team scoring droughts and they capitalize more often on their possessions than other teams do. Uh, and that's a credit to their system. They're never really reliant on just one guy to go get a bucket. Um, you know, they have guys who can in Dragic who's playing out of his mind. 
uh, Butler, who's been playing well, uh, except from three. They have guys who can go get shots, but they're not reliant on those guys to get shots. They can have they can have Bam Adebayo, you know, playmaking out of the high post. Uh, Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero going off the dribble, or even uh, just catch and shoot. Um, they've got a lot of guys. We haven't talked about Andre Iguodala, uh, who probably defends LeBron better than I mean, better than anyone um, outside of Kawhi. Uh, just a guy who knows tendencies. He's a really smart player who's experienced against LeBron. Um, you know, I think I think the I could see LeBron have a a, a bad shooting series and still dominate. Uh, a la you know 2015, uh, the NBA Finals then. Uh, but I, I just wouldn't count on him having a bad series, um, considering. Miami's size, I guess I would say. Um, I don't think Miami's size scares LeBron um, defensively. Um, so I, th- I think that if, if the Lakers are able to stay, you know, to avoid scoring droughts um, and control a bit of the, the Heat's bomb movement, I know it's tough, easier said than done. Uh, but if they can just avoid their own scoring droughts, I think they'll be fine. Um, because you know Miami... You know what's an interesting thing in the series that I, I think in for the postseason that hasn't really been talked about enough? Okay. Goran Dragic. He's been fantastic. He's been incredible. Well, do you remember during the last off this past offseason, they were trying to offload him and mm-hmm. Dallas was going to get him. Yeah. And they backed out of the deal. And the Clippers swooped in, and that was the Mo Harkless deal. Yeah. Clippers, Clippers don't make the Heat don't make Butler happen. <laughs> Uh, unless the Clippers help him out, so. Oh yeah, so this will be the Clippers' title if the Heat win. Okay, I yeah. like where you're. I like where Clippers one hundred percent responsible for this. Yeah, give me that parade, baby. If it happens. <laughs> um, the other thing is, it's it's a very interesting series when you really break it down. Um, and I'm a, I'm I'm a person who I both overthink and then try to rationalize why overthinking is bad. For instance, my overthinking on this is. Miami has a superior system and guys who have bought in for longer. And the only real guys that they added were who Jimmy Butler and rookie Tyler hero, but Tyler hero bought completely in and Jimmy's like the guy, so to speak. Whereas the Lakers have all these new guys who, yes, they've been there for the full year and they're, they're completely uh, playing well together and all this stuff. But maybe this is the series. They miss Avery Bradley at the POA to deal with Goran Dragic or even Tyler Hero and stuff like that. But then I look at it and go, maybe that's really overthinking it. And just, I should just dial it back and just go, the Lakers have the two best players in the series and that's all that matters. Like, yeah, it, it, it might just really, come down to it. It might just it come down really, to that. Yeah, it really just might come down to just that. Um, also, I believe the last time Danny Green played against the Miami Heat in the NBA Finals, he hit an NBA record threes. Wait, who was that? Danny Green. Yeah, what was that? Twenty. He like twenty five or twenty seven. Was that the seven game? That had to be the seven game. That was the seven game series in twenty thirteen. Yeah. Oh yeah, then they beat them in five. Yeah, they blew them out of the water in twenty fourteen. To be fair, LeBron should have left after that because that Heat team was done. Done. Yeah, they were done. They were done. They were absolutely Um, good. I just, it's you know, the other storyline in this that is kind of interesting is. Two two things. Number one, 
AD versus Bam is really fun, just from the Kentucky aspect. Oh, that's right. And number and and one B to that would be. Do you remember when John Calipari said Bam Adebayo should be a, a lottery pick and everyone like scoffed and laughed at him? And well, look at him now. Yeah, I, and and to think that, um, you know, I think the Heat were sort of for yeah for two years he played behind Hassan Whiteside. Um, now I'm not saying that he was ready uh, back in 2017 when he was drafted, uh, but he clearly showed flashes of if he played uh, 28. 28 to 30 minutes, he could be a very effective player. And I'm, I'm really glad that Heat actually made the move to get, make him a full-time starter because when he did start in place of uh, Whiteside, he was so good. You and, know what I think helped him? What was that? Having Whiteside in front of him so he could learn what not to do. <laughs> you mean uh, don't, don't uh, take plays off? Don't uh, chase, chase blocks only? Hey, uh, Bam, just try not jumping all the time. Oh, okay. Wow. Really helps defensively. Um, The other thing I do want to mention. So a lot's been made of the Jimmy Butler, LeBron James thing, right? And rightfully so. And I want to, I want to piggyback on that. The reason I find that matchup so interesting. If you're the Miami heat, I understand like, okay, let's not put Jimmy on LeBron the whole time. This is also why we have Iguodala and Jay Crowder and maybe some other guys get time. You don't defend LeBron with one guy. I get it. Um, maybe in my mind, you just stick Jimmy on LeBron because you know, the referees won't foul Jimmy Butler out. You don't so think so? Could, I don't think they would. I, th- I think, I think Jimmy's going to be allowed to be physical unless we get the Scott Foster, Tony brothers game one pairing. Oh my God. I just hurt myself. <laughs> uh, I, I think, I think teams haven't, teams haven't done enough to make, that's going to sound bad. Um, Teams haven't done enough to make LeBron a scorer only, um, and 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 taking AD out of that equation, um, LeBron's obviously going to get guys involved, but I feel like if you make LeBron a scorer, you have a better chance than when you make him a distributor. Look at the look at the games against Houston and to some extent against Portland and even against Denver. The the first halves where he would go ballistic and the game would be close, but like the Lakers were still struggling. Like, that's what you need to do. You need to force LeBron just to be a scorer. The other thing that I want to... It's easier said than done. It's easier said than done. We'll say that. It's easier. I can sit here and say it until I'm blue in the face. Oh, just let LeBron be a scorer. Like, just defend him one-on-one. At the end of the day, your your mind, your inclination is, oh, my God, LeBron's driving to the rim. I got to rotate to help. Oh, my God, a guy's wide open for three. Yep, yep. Mm -hmm. So, I get it. The other thing I've wondered about with this series is... Is with both is with AD and Bam. Bam was not a good mid-range shooter in the regular season, like sub 30%, and apparently can make mid-range shots now, which is very weird. The other thing is AD on mid-range shots was like sub 35% this year. But he's and been insane yeah, in the playoffs. He's making like he 60% of his come, mid-range jumpers. I've been waiting for him to come down to earth and he hasn't. He simply hasn't. So I almost look at it like which one of those guys starts missing more? I mean, you would have to guess it's Bam. Um, you would guess Bam, but Bam's not taking as many as Anthony Davis. But the thing is, for Davis, he's, he's, he's taking most of his shooting over the top of defenses. He's that tall. 
Right. Where he's shooting over the top of defense. So it might not be as difficult. Um, now, ask Bam to, to do that over AD. Um, well, yeah, that's – yeah. Won't be as easy. I mean, there's also the Miami zone thing, which is interesting, which who knows. I, I can't I – th- I'm glad you brought that up. I can't wait for this. Both Spo and uh, Vogel have mentioned this sort of junk defense that they throw out at times. I think Vogel called it verbatim junk defense. Um which is, you know, the, the three, two zone, the two, three zone, just, or maybe the box in one where they just try to try to confuse the, the opposing team. And I can't wait to see when they bring that out just in random plays, just to see how, how teams react to that. Because ideally it's easy. Just throw a guy at the high post and move the ball around. Uh, but for some reason it creates a lot of problems for teams. Like just, just, I don't, I don't know how to explain it. It creates a lot of problems more than even a, you know, a traditional man-to-man defense does. So, Let me ask you a question. Who, who would you be your one X factor for each team in this series? Um, I've said this even before the playoffs started. I said Alex Caruso. This is a bull take. I said Alex Caruso was the Lakers' third most important player um, because that was when Rondo was injured. Uh, we didn't know if Rondo, playoff Rondo was a thing. And I thought Alex oh, would be important. <laughs> I, you can't deny the thing. You can't deny it's, the thing it's anymore. It's apparently the biggest thing I've ever seen, and I do not understand how. <laughs> the man, the man just makes threes left, and I, I, I can't explain it. Um, X factor wise, look, I think the I Caruso think, thing is interesting. He's shooting twenty four percent from three this postseason. I think if you're Miami, that's also one reason why you play the zone. Is you for, like if him and Kuzma are in the game, I think Miami will break out the zone to force those two to shoot over the top of them, especially if LeBron's off the floor. The, the thing is, though, I don't think he's shooting a good percentage, but it reminds me of the Denver series where he's making them time at, at a great time. When the Lakers need a bucket, yeah. he'll make them. Um, so I, I'm going to get a lot of hate for this, but I think, it's, I think Alex Russo is the X factor for me for the Lakers because he does all the little things all the time. Literally every second he's out there, he's doing all the little things. Um, Who and say I, for and Miami? I think, for Miami, I think it's Jay Crowder. Okay. Um, because he has these spurts where he goes like maybe four of six from three. And then he has those games where he goes like, Oh, of six. Um, and so if you get, uh, you know, you're going to get a, a good defensive game from Jay, but if you get the threes as well, um, listen, if I, you get the Jay Crowder on Memphis against the Los Angeles Clippers in January, Oh, you're done. It's you're a done. wrap. You're done. It's a wrap. That was, I'm making a case for a buyout, uh, Jay Crowder. The next game, Marcus Morris Senior dropped like thirty-five. Yeah, that was the uh, yeah that was the Memphis New York back-to-back, the infamous uh, Montrezl Harrell rant post-game. I remember that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it would be Caruso and, and Jay Crowder, but you can make a case for a number of guys: uh, Dwight Howard, uh, even Kuzma, uh, Iguodala on the Heat side, even Hero if he can keep up that play. So, All right. who's this for you? Mine for the Lakers is KCP. Um, okay. I think you could argue he's been their third best player this whole season, including the postseason. Mm-hmm. He's shooting 42% from three in the postseason. And I think they need him to keep hitting threes, especially if Danny Green isn't. At least, I mean, Danny Green's making 36%, so that's fine. It's just, like, I think KCP has to be the guy who nails the spot-up threes if the Lakers are going to stay very competitive and win this series. Mm-hmm. I have an off-the-wall one for the Miami Heat. Okay. Derek Jones Jr., Ooh, a guy who hasn't played that much. There's a reason why I feel this way, and it's very—it's a very niche reason. 
Spolstra likes to bring him on late in the third quarters or even early fourth to be his Swiss Army knife defender and high energy impact defender and rim runner and transition guy. He's he's the mucker. He mucks everything up. And teams don't know how to deal with his athleticism and his ability to get up and down the floor and his wingspan and strength defensively. I think he might be a guy that in the late third quarters of some of these games, Spolster is going to pull him off the bench and tell him to go make stuff happen, especially against LeBron or even AD or even guarding guys like Kuzma and just muck the game up and get out and run. And I think that could be a thing that he does at a high enough level to actually help Miami win the series. That's an interesting pick. Uh, that, that's a good one. I just I, – I, Miami has like nine guys who could be X-Factors. That's a tough part. Yeah, I know. They, they have so many guys. I do want to say, though, uh, I think Danny Green catches way too much flack. Uh, I know he that I, I know that he, he he hasn't shot as well as he'd like to, and I'm not just defending him because he's in front of the podcast. But uh, he, he's 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 done everything the Lakers have needed him to for the most part. Space the floor out, just be a threat. You don't have to make. I, I obviously you'd rather make the shot, but just be a threat out there for LeBron and AD. Um, be be a good defender. Make the hustle plays. Get a couple. You know, come from behind blocks that like we've seen recently. Um, those are big energy plays. Uh, I, I think Green has been has been good for them. He's another guy you can make a case can be an X factor. Um, even though I think he's been pretty consistent in, in what you're getting from him. Um, you know, a couple threes a game, good defense. Uh, you know, just stuff like that. So, uh, just wanted to. It's going to be a very interesting series with a massive variety of ch- of of chess moves and things like that. The other thing we haven't talked about. The Lakers, the Lakers and Heat have basically shot the same percentage from three this postseason. Now, to be fair, it's basically 35.5%, so it's not great. Mm-hmm. However, the other thing we didn't really talk about, like the Lakers shot 34.5% in the conference finals from three. Do you know what the Heat shot? I guess the Celtics, they couldn't have been good. I don't think they were good, were they? 32.3%. Yeah. And you started looking through, like Duncan Robinson was the only guy consistently over 40%. He was at 40.8. Iguodala was at 42.9, but he took like two attempts a game. You know, you got Jay Crowder, who was 25 and a half. Tyler Hero, 34.9. Drogic was only 33.3. Hero, outside of that one game where he scored 30, I don't think he was, you know, anything great. He, was he averaged 19 average. a game for that series, but yeah, I mean. He did have that 34, him, 30, whatever point game it was. The thing with him is he gives them another ball handle. Like, I don't think that's been talked about enough with Miami. They have a lot of ball handling. Like Jimmy can ball handle Goran Dragic, uh, uh, Tyler Hero, as you mentioned. If they bring in Kendrick Nunn, which I don't think Kendrick Nunn should play at all in this series, if I'm being completely honest. Um, Iguodala can do it. So they have all these guys who can ball handle. It's just going to be really interesting. Like Duncan Robinson, Even Adebayo can, can, can do it. Yes, Bam Adebayo can do it. Uh, that, that's where the similarity with him and Anthony Davis comes in. So that, like, that's actually interesting. The interesting thing the Lakers are going to have to figure out, and this is one thing for each team to figure out, and th- then I kind of like, this is all my thoughts on the series. For the Lakers to figure out, the thing that, the, that, they, have, that they have to corral and limit is the potency of the Bam Adebayo-Duncan Robinson handoff game. 
Because mm-hmm. Miami kills teams with that. And it's not even just the fact that they give Duncan Robinson the ball and handoffs from Bam out of bio. It's they will faint handoffs and get Bam rolling to the rim as a playmaker and a dunker. And that is something the Lakers are going to have to figure out. It's very tough. The thing the Miami Heat are going to have to figure out, how do you effectively build a defense to where you can both build a wall against LeBron James from getting to the rim where he's at his most effective and forcing Anthony Davis further away from the hoop. That's going to be their biggest thing because to me personally, Bam Adebayo is their only real rim protector. And I don't know what is going to happen to them if Bam Adebayo gets into foul trouble. And I just like saying Bam Adebayo. Myers-Leonard time, baby. He did not play in that series. Myers-Leonard time. I'm a big Myers-Leonard fan. I love that guy. He's such a cool dude. Um, but yeah, I don't know if he's even. Ready I don't to know if you can series. play Kelly Olynyk. I'm just saying that right now. I mean, defensively, I don't know if you can, but um, I think the Heat are pretty content in making teams play to their their strengths. So Olynyk as a first facing five um, is probably effective with that second unit. That's the biggest thing that you just mentioned, and something that I don't think a lot of people have talked about. Both of these teams, well, more to Miami than the Lakers. The Heat specifically have forced other teams to adjust to them mm-hmm. more than they have adjusted to other teams. And when you are the aggressor in dictating matchups, you are the one who can take advantage of the other things that coaches can't see fast enough. I- I feel like the the Lakers are probably the perfect team to counter that, though. I will say that. I um, will agree with they, that. They, they, they. We saw them Houston decided to go small, and Vogel was like, "All right, sure, we'll go small." Boom, one three in a row. I mean, it's just there. If there's a team that's willing that, that's willing and able to match up with any of Miami styles, it's the Lakers. Um, so it, it really, it really is an even matchup outside of the top tier talent. Um, obviously you have coaching on the heat side. Um, you know, I wonder how much of what Miami knows and saw from LeBron when he was there, they can even use. Cause I feel like he's, he's changed as a player, um, a good amount since his Miami days. Um, yeah. you know, the system is obviously built more different around him. Um, he's, he's, I think, I, I think you could say he was, he was, his peak shooting numbers are probably with Miami. Um, but he's, he's still a threat from there. Um, yeah, he never had a weapon like Anthony Davis. So, um, look, I think if you want to force Anthony Davis outside the paint, you really have to pack the paint on, on LeBron uh, whenever he's driving, make him kick it out, make guys make shots. I don't know if that's a recipe to win. Um, like I said earlier, I think if you want to win, you have to make LeBron a, a 35, 40-point scorer, uh, maybe even more, uh, and really try to keep the key guys out of it. If you're going to make anyone shoot, you know, I think I think – was he is to, to, to really key in on, on, on scouting reports. Like, if there's KCP standing in the corner and Alex Caruso is the one catching the ball on a rotation, don't close out hard on Caruso and get the ball kicked out to KCP, who, like you said, has been shooting 42% from three. That's a, that's a high percentage shot for him. Um, the Lakers want that. I think, I think things like that, like making Caruso be the shooter, making the poor guys be the shooters, um, those kind of little things will play a factor in it. Um, my prediction going to this series is probably Lakers in six, maybe five. Um, 
uh, I'm not sure. I, I want to say Lakers, Lakers in six. I think it'll be a close series. Um, but I think top-tier talent will just outweigh everything uh, when it comes down to it. Um, LeBron and AD are just too good, in my opinion. It very well just might come down to talent. I mean, so much in this league often does, except for, well, a certain series. We won't mention. Unless you're the Clippers. Yeah, that's a great way to end this. <laughs> <laughs> Always got to go back to the Clippers. You know, I changed my fantasy football team name to Same Old Clippers. What are you doing? I was I was upset, so I changed to the Same Old Clippers. I and, I have, and, and, I, and I made it a photo of Doc Rivers calling timeout in the bubble. Might have to change that photo now. <laughs> hey, I am 3-0, though. Uh, and I don't plan on blowing a 3-0 lead here. So, Well, it's a good thing no one in the NBA has ever blown that. <laughs> now, if I lose this, we can go 3-1. That's a different story. There you but, go. Uh, yeah, Justin, where can people find you? Uh, you find your stuff. You can find me at home. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I would hope so. <laughs> yeah. uh, at flybynight, F-L-Y-B-Y-K-N-I-T-E. You can find me on patreon.com slash flybynight. Um, I'm still doing my stuff there. Um, I've been planning to, I never got around to it to do the breakdowns of the Western conference finals games. Maybe I'll do the NBA finals. Um, I'll see. The other thing is because of the doc rivers news, I've been thinking about looking at coaching candidates and going through some film and kind of just trying to decide and like do breakdowns of that. But I we'll see that could get dicey. I mean, who knows? The Clippers could announce their head coach in the next two days and all the stuff I will work on will be crap. So I don't know. They love to do that to me. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I was planning on doing before the Doc Rivers news was free agency profiles. So I might still do those because those will be easier and more uh, like they're able to just to do those without so much changing, basically. So, I mean, look, there's a lot of content to be had out there. I'll, tr- I'll do my best to put it out. Oh, and you can find me on the Blue Wire Podcast Network, uh, the Clip and Roll Podcast. Quick question for you. Yes. Who the hell is Brett Ripien? Uh, sir, that's Brett Rippin. Rippin? Is that how you pronounce it? Rippin. His, his uncle was Mark Rippin. <laughs> Bronco. The Super Bowl MVP for the Washington now football team back in like the 90s. You see, I wouldn't know that. <laughs> but he's I am old enough to recall. For the, for the Broncos now, really? <laughs> Quote, start. Looks like yes. I'm starting whatever defense is playing against them this week. It's the Jets, so I don't know if you even want to do that. Ooh, they just yeah. got murked by the you Niners. Know what, you know what that is? That's the movable force versus the destructible object. Oh, I don't. You know what? The Jets, the Broncos might be bad enough <laughs> to start the Jets, but I don't know. Um, Listen, anytime you have to start a regen player from Madness, your quarterback, I don't know. Oh my god. <laughs> you guys can find, uh, uh, you know, me at Tomer Zarly. That's T-O-M-E-R-A-Z-A-R-L-Y on Twitter and Instagram. Um, find all my work at Clutch Points. I tweet it out for the most part, um, but find all my work at Clutch Points. Um, I think our, our designs have been getting some, some, some attention recently as well. So check those out on Instagram, uh, the Clutch Points Instagram page. A lot of people have uh, been sharing it for better or worse. I don't know which one it is. You guys can decide that. Um, if you guys, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you guys can, please subscribe to the podcast wherever you guys get your podcast, whether it's Apple, Google Play, iHeart, Spotify, all those were there. Um, leave a five star review as well if you can. Uh, if you hate Justin, just let him know. Um, that's fine. 
if you hate me, you'd be me, surprised keep... at all the messages I get. So, <laughs> uh, really, <laughs> no, just, just keep it going, keep it going. Uh, oh my god, uh, if you hate me, don't let me know. I don't really care. Uh, no, I do care. Uh, but yeah, leave a five star review. Any comments, questions, uh, suggestions, or concerns, leave them there as well uh, on the review page or Twitter, Instagram. I'm open to those. Um, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, Justin, thanks again for joining me. Hope you get some sleep, buddy. I oh yeah, I didn't tell people this at the beginning. So I didn't go to bed last night till like six in the morning for some reason. Like I just couldn't actually get to sleep and I only got like three hours of sleep. So this is me at three hours of sleep and I've, I would like to believe I handled myself accordingly and I'm doing really well. This is our best podcast episode. Okay, you tell me that every time. <laughs> I, I might actually mean it this time. I don't know. Oh, okay. I'll take that <laughs> as, a, as a side of phrase. Uh, once again, thank you, Justin. Appreciate you coming on, uh, taking no the time. Hope you guys enjoyed. We will catch you guys uh, next week. Might have a special guest for next week's episode, but we'll keep you guys posted on that. Uh, hope you guys enjoyed. Peace.